Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, God's Providence. So let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, as Dr. Newfeld presents application number two, be joyful. It was the French philosopher Blaise Pascal who once said, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those, he said, who hang themselves. Now, I have loved that quote for many years because it speaks about the motive of human actions. When we spoke about human freedom, I said then that freedom consists in doing what you want. And what we want are the things that please us, the things that make us happy. I think Pascal is right. Even those who make great sacrifices are those who do so for what they believe to be the greater good and a good that attracts them with joy. But, says Pascal, How can it be that if we're motivated by happiness that we so rarely attain it? So let me continue to quote him. And yet after such a great number of years, no one without faith has reached the point to which all continually look, all complain. Princes and subjects, noblemen and commoners, old and young, strong and weak, learned and ignorant, healthy and sick, of all countries, all times, all ages, and all conditions. Now, I do notice that when Pascal says this, he had a qualification. No one reaches happiness unless, he says, they have faith. Without faith, all people descend into incessant complaining. It it doesn't matter who you are. The happiness that you had longed for never materializes. And we all know that there are numerous reasons why our lives never turned out the way we wanted. I mean, perhaps it's a poor marriage or that person out there who has brought us harm. Or maybe it's the economy or health or lack of advantages. I mean, truth be told, there are numerous reasons to believe that life did not treat us the way we were hoping. But Pascal is still not done. So I'm letting it continue to read him. He says, a trial so long, so continuous, and so uniform should certainly convince us of our inability to reach the good by our own efforts. What is it then that this desire and this inability to proclaim to us that there was once in man a true happiness of which there now remains in him only the mark and empty trace which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, that is to say, only by God himself, end quote. Well, well said. We try to make up for our lack of joy by casting around for those things that might take away the sting of our disappointments. And we've all done it. If I could only find the right wife or husband, if I could only get rid of my wife or husband, if I only had more money, if people would only recognize the contributions that I've been making, if I could only get into Harvard, if I could only find the ideal job, if I could only have enough money that I wouldn't need a job. I mean, on and on go the rationalizations as to why we're not happy. We continue to lie to ourselves that if only a few things lined up, we would find what we're truly looking for and we would be content. You know, buy that condo in Hawaii 
or sell that condo in Hawaii because living there is on an island and you can't take a road trip when you live on an island. Or get that new car or enter into politics or enter into the movies or become famous uh, only to discover how many famous people have already taken their own lives. See, one of the key Christian virtues is joy. And added to joy is the virtue of gratitude and praise and thankfulness. Psalm 107 verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then as if this were not enough, verse 2 adds, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, this giving of thanks to God, well, that's a command. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 reinforces that. Give thanks in all circumstances, it commands. Make a practice of continually thanking God regardless of the circumstances in which you find yourself. And why? Because for believers, our joy is found in the beauty of God himself. We're not only to give thanks to the Lord and to give thanks to him because he providentially arranges all things in our lives, but we are to be thankful for the Lord and to find our joy in him. Listen to Psalm 16, and as you listen, Pay close attention both to the benefits that God has brought into every believer's life as well as the joy of simply knowing God. So I'm reading verses 6 to 11. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, did you notice how skillfully David puts together both the kindness that God brings into our life along with the ultimate joy of simply being in relationship with God. I mean, first David comments that the lines have fallen to him in in pleasant places. That is, the way that life has turned out has been wonderful. Now, you might wonder about that. After all, for years, he's been hunted by Saul, and then in later days, you know, his sin catches up and his family's in turmoil. Well, now, I guess that all depends on your perspective, doesn't it? And perspective is exactly what David is talking about. Psalm 16 begins with the words, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I mean, the very fact that David needs a place of refuge tells us that he writes at a time of crisis. But by the time we come to verse 4, we see his perspective clearly. There he remarks that the sorrows of those who run after another God will only multiply. But in contrast to the fate of those who abandon God, he finds that the lines are falling to him in pleasant places, that is, he's noticing that God is arranging matters in his life that will result in the, in the best possible outcome. And, of course, he knows it's true. David remarks that the Lord gives him counsel through the difficult days that he faces. He also remarks that God will never abandon him, and that alone is reason enough for joy. For the pleasures of the joy he finds in God are the sole reason for being. You know, with that in mind, let me quote C.S. Lewis. Lewis said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. But here's the issue. How is it that we prefer mud pies in a slum to the offer of a holiday at the sea? How is it that we choose the lesser pleasures that thrill the soul for a moment and leave it with remorse and pain and unfulfilled expectations? I mean, how is it that we keep desiring the lesser and leave behind the greater? Now, on the one hand, I mean, we've just got to embrace 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 to 5. There we read, For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. Now, in that passage, Paul's writing against those who create rules that forbid marriage, that require abstinence from certain foods in order to demonstrate their holiness. In response, Paul says, live joyfully in the world. Marry if you want, provided you do so in the Lord. Eat whatever is set before you, provided you give thanks for that which is being offered to you. Indeed, a healthy doctrine of creation tells us that the creation is good and it is to be enjoyed. We can enjoy this world for it is not just created by God, but it is created for God. It is created for His glory. And furthermore, God is sustaining this world moment by moment. And the God who is the source of all joy, whose, whose loveliness invites us to revel in the beauty of the Lord, invites us to rejoice in the world he has created and sustained, and that we are to be satisfied with his works. But here's the question. Why do believers complain? Here's the answer. We complain because we doubt the doctrine of providence. We doubt that God so arranges all things for his own glory and for our long-term good. Instead, we wonder if we're missing something that might bring us greater joy. And so like Israel in the desert, we murmur and complain. We actually believe that if only things were different than they are, we would be far more joyful. Like even the garden, we believe that God is withholding something from us that might fulfill us in a way that we're not experiencing in our present circumstances. What are we to do about that? Well, stay tuned. I think I have some wonderful answers. The Back to the Bible Canada-Israel experience is a trip like none other. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our most recent trip said, listening to Pastor John teach the Bible while looking and breathing the air where the events he speaks about may actually have happened puts doubts of the authenticity of the Bible to rest. So make plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming spring from April 16th to the 24th, 2023, and with an optional Jordan extension from April 24th to the 29th. With on-location teaching from Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld and evenings of entertainment with Laugh-Again's Phil Calloway and very special musical guest, Amanda Stott. For more information, the trip itinerary or registration forms, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I asked my colleagues here at Back to the Bible to tell me about some of the things that we should be thankful for, but these very things we fail to give thanks. And one of the gals immediately responded. She said, in the grocery store. I asked her what she meant, and she told me that 
Complaints in the grocery store are monumental. The lineups are too long. Why isn't the lineup for 15 items or less open? And why do they allow people in that lineup that have, you know, 21 items in their cart? And, and where are the ambrosia apples? And look at the price on the salmon. And, and why are there only farmed salmon here? I mean, that's not good for the environment. And, and then this is, this is a Canadian problem. Why are all the packages so arranged that the French side is facing out? I mean, every time you have to turn it around to get the English side. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that if you live in Quebec City, the English side is always out. I, I bet it's a Government of Canada diabolical plot that just wants to ruin your grocery shopping experience. And talking about shopping experience, I mean, what's with the wobbly wheels on those carts? And don't you just hate it when we have inclement weather and you can't find a parking spot close to the shopping entrance? I mean, so think about it. In a store that's filled with food, that fills the shelves, and there is no shortage of both abundance and variety, and might I add, food that is safe to consume and food that we can afford, that in such a setting we complain and lack thankfulness. Now, I know that might seem like a trivial example, but let me add to this an experience that I will not soon forget. You know, for a while in my city, we had a boil water advisory. We had, we had so much rain that the silt from the hillside was washed down into our reservoir and it left the water cloudy and we were advised to boil our water. And in the local Costco, there was a run on drinking water that had been brought in in bottles and it was loaded onto pellets and it was, it was set in the middle of the floor and, and the bottles disappeared and the last few bottles left were in high demand. And in the end, fistfights ensued in Costco, resulting in blood on the floor. And all of this was over a minor inconvenience. All you had to do was boil your drinking water. The advisory lasted about a week, one week, and we became so vitriolic in our complaints that we were ready to beat on others that came in our way. What does all that to do with the doctrine of providence? Well, everything. Once we embrace the doctrine of providence, we embrace the idea that nothing happens by accident. There is no such thing as luck or chance. The universe is not governed by fate or by a bad alignment of the stars. Nothing just happens. All things are arranged by the providential hand of God. And as we've already seen, all things contribute to the glory of God who has caused all things to work together for the long-term good of those whom he has chosen. And once we embrace that, we gain confidence of God's ordering of this universe, God's wisdom in so arranging all things in our lives is cause for awe and worship. But does that really refer to all things? Does it really refer to the grocery clerk who stocks the shelves in Vancouver with the French side out and his counterpart in Quebec City who puts the, the English side out? And does it refer to that traffic light that turns yellow just when you get there, always slowing you up for that appointment that you might not get to because of those idiots on the road who always show up when you have to get somewhere quickly. And it's not just the small stuff. The big stuff is when we lose our job or when we lose our health or when we lose our loved ones. Can we really be thankful in all things? And by the way, I do know that there are those who want to make a difference between being thankful for everything and being thankful in everything. I mean, these are the people that will say, I will be thankful even when the situation around me does not warrant my thank at all. But, but again, all of that depends on whether the providential hand of God is seen in all things. So let's use a test case. It's from the book of Philippians. 
You remember that Philippians was written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome, and and there he was awaiting trial before Caesar's tribunal. And the reason why things got to that place had everything to do with Paul's visit to Jerusalem. A false rumor was traded that said that Paul had brought a man named Trophimus the Ephesian. He was a Gentile believer into the Jewish temple. Well, it wasn't true, but that false rumor set the city into an uproar. Indeed, they would have killed Paul on the spot if the Roman tribune hadn't intervened and saved his life. So they put Paul under guard, but things spiraled out of control. A group of Jewish extremists, about 40 of them, conspired to assassinate Paul. And because of that, they moved Paul from Jerusalem to the city of Caesarea, a place where the Roman had their garrison and they could guard their prisoner. But in truth, Paul had done nothing wrong. And because of legal wrangling and more false charges, Paul is held under guard in prison for two years without a trial. It's, it's outrageous. And finally, in desperation, Paul takes the only legal avenue that's left open to him. Since he was a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. What makes the matter even worse is that shortly after he makes the appeal, King Agrippa and the governor meet and they agree that had Paul not appealed to Caesar, he could have been released immediately. Oops. Oh, I can almost hear the response. What bad luck. Or maybe he missed God's call or if only he had just been patient. Now things are going to turn out badly and indeed they appear to turn out that way. After going through an eventful sea journey, Paul arrives in Rome and he's informed that he will appear before Caesar's tribunal where he will be charged with sedition against the emperor. He might be released or he might be executed immediately. And for what? But a series of rumors and errors. And with that, the complaints could have begun. You know, if only those evil people in Jerusalem hadn't started lying rumors, none of this would have happened or if only the citizens of Jerusalem weren't so easily manipulated, and if only they could see through the lies, then this wouldn't have happened. I mean, if only the Roman authorities in Caesarea would have just been courageous, this wouldn't have happened. And then the final one, you know, if only God had intervened, this wouldn't have happened. Oh God, how can you allow evil men to have their way and stop the most effective missionary in world history from doing his work? And then we come to the book of Philippians. The church in Philippi, which is in northern Greece, raise money and they take care of Paul's physical needs while he's in prison. And they give the money to a deacon from that church and he's a man named Epaphrodites. And he risks his life to travel from Greece to Rome to deliver the money. And while he's visiting Paul in prison, he's supposed to get news on how the apostle's doing. And then he's supposed to come back and let the Philippian Christians know. And Paul does him one better. He writes a letter to the church and he sends it back with Epaphrodites. And what does Paul say? Well, first he says, I've been chained daily to a Roman guard. And not just to any Roman guard. I'm chained to a member of the Imperial Guard, the most elite military force in the city. And because of that, I have shared the gospel with the military elite in Rome. And consequently, all of Caesar's household is talking about Jesus. And furthermore, the Christian church in Rome, which has for some time now been intimidated by the Roman power are seeing my boldness for the gospel, and it's inspired them. That church is now actively sharing the gospel in the most important city in the world. And furthermore, in just a little while, I'm going to be ushered into the Roman tribunal. It's the most powerful judiciary in the world, and they will ask me what it is that I've been preaching. 
and I'm looking forward to sharing the gospel there. And furthermore, I'm certain that the Holy Spirit is going to help me and it's going to make the matter of who Jesus is and what he's done crystal clear to the most powerful judiciary in the world. And says Paul, none of those amazing things would have happened had I not been arrested in Jerusalem and treated so shamefully. And so in Philippians 1 verse 18, he says, in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. That's to say, I'm filled with praise and joy right now, and I'm going to be filled with praise and joy when they take me into Caesar's tribunal. Note, he doesn't say, in this I complain and I will complain. No, no. Paul says, God has arranged everything, even the hardships. You see what I'm saying? It's not about, you know, shall I give thanks for all circumstances or in all circumstances? You do both. You give thanks because God is arranging the circumstances for his glory and your long-term good. So may I ask a question? How about you? Can you, in confidence of the providential hand of God, learn to give thanks in all circumstances? See, the more you grow in this doctrine, the doctrine of God's providence, and the more you look around you and see the hand of God in the big things and the small things, the more you will find yourself saying with Paul in Philippians 1.18, in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. John, you talked about Paul, you talked about him being in prison, you talked about him being joyful in his circumstances. You know, it's really one of my favorite passages because it talks about just allowing God to take control and being joyful in what he's provided for you at that moment in time. I I wonder whether or not joy isn't the test of our faith. Will I believe that God, in his providence, is arranging all things for his glory, for my long-term good, and if he is... Uh, would I not give thanks every single day? I mean, what God has arranged for, you know, for our listeners, for us today is for his glory and our long-term good. He has so sovereignly done so. I mean, it's just a wonderful truth. And I think it's a discipline that we need to all learn to begin to say to God, thank you for this day. Thank you for what I'm going through. I know that you have arranged things in this way that that would maximize how I would I would find delight in you for all of eternity. So, you know, joy is the mark of the believer. When joy is missing, faith is missing. When complaining is there, it's because of our lack of belief. Thanks so much, John. And, and be joyful out there and trust in the Lord. He has you in mind. Join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We often find ourselves consumed with never-ending to-do lists. Our feet and hands don't know how to be still, but God does not desire our productivity. He desires our heart. Back to the Bible Canada teaches the Bible, not just for information, but to nurture our relationship with God. We ought to know God, not simply know about God, but it takes intentional time to slow down and be with Him. To help you make this happen, Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John have created a new 30-day devotional called Quiet Spaces, Volume 2. It's the next in the installment of the Quiet Spaces devotional. This devotional is free this month, and all you need to do is ask. 
So call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your copy today.